Aiken, and I'll be doing the reading today from Acts 4, 32 through 37. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were as landowners, or house owners, screwed that up, uh, <laughs> they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called the, by the apostles Barnabas, which means a son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Thank you, Taylor. Good morning. My name is Jeremy. I am a pastoral intern here at Faith. And uh, I want to personally welcome you. And I want to thank Taylor for reading the message. Um, I'm not sure this note was necessary. You're off the team. You're dead to me. Um, P.S. I'm already asleep. So thank you for the reading. And uh, I don't know if you expected me to actually read that, but you're welcome. You did a great job. Um, he was uh, the first person that I thought of when Pastor Tom asked me if there was someone that I would uh, like to invite up here to do the reading this morning. Um, at first I said, no, whoever's on the rotation, but then, you know, my heart was placed on Taylor instantly. Um, and for two reasons, we, we like to joke around, have a good time with each other, and he is not comfortable in this type of atmosphere, and, and that's okay. Um, that's all right. It, it shows us that when, when we're called to do something, we should step out in obedience. And Taylor did. He didn't hesitate to say, to say yes. Um, even though it may have gotten me kicked off the softball team. So we have openings. Uh, there is a position available on the left bench where I play. So if anybody's interested in the softball, uh, see Taylor after the service. Um, it, it is sincerely humbling though to be asked to come up here, um, when Pastor Brent asked me if I would uh, like to be in part of the next rotation, uh, again, I said yes, even though, you know, it is very uh, intimidating at times. We have an amazing group of pastors here at Faith, and they do a great job um, breaking down Scripture and presenting Scripture. Uh, so it can be intimidating at times to follow in those footsteps. Um, but, you know, at first I was grateful when he gave me the passage that he wanted me to to fill in for. It wasn't one of the full long um, chapters that we've done so far in Acts. And, and if you're new here, uh, I can tell who you are, actually, because your your eyes aren't this big and you don't look more nervous than I feel. Um, because everyone else here has heard me speak and they're like, oh, no, what's he going to say? Um, so if you're new here, go to our website, faithwaterville.org. And we have all of the sermons in Acts that have led up to where we're at today. So you can get caught up quickly. I would strongly encourage that. Um, but this passage is, is much shorter than the one that the other pastors have uh, taken on. And I was really grateful for that until I realized that I needed to tell you all that you have to sell everything you have. And um, then I was quickly analyzing where the exits may be so I could get out of here. Uh, in a timely manner and not be the person standing out here as Pastor Brent preached a few weeks ago that uh, their first sermon and they wanted to maybe do bodily harm to the person. Uh, so 
Hopefully that's not the case today, uh, because that's not what this passage is about. Uh, as I started getting in and studying it and, and diving into it a little bit more, um, it's an amazing example of, of unity in the church and the power of the Holy Spirit working through the people of the early church. Uh, and, and I realize that maybe if you are new here, maybe your experience with organized religion is not that of unity. It's not that of, of a common goal or a common purpose. And uh, I just want to applaud you for being here. And, and I hope that you will uh, give us another chance. Uh, I've, I've seen people come for a week and then maybe something happens, nerves, or maybe they feel like it's not for them. But I, I would challenge you to, to give it four weeks. Give it four weeks, come experience the atmosphere, experience the teaching. Um, and, and after that four weeks, if it didn't, uh, if it didn't sink in, then maybe talk to one of the pastors and, and express your concerns or ask your questions. Um, because I promise you the, the longer that you hear the good news of the gospel, there's something there that will change. And that's what happened for me. Um, so my hope is, is that I can articulate without stumbling through this, without my nerves uh, getting the best of me, um, that this passage is about unity in the church. And um, a unity that, that displays changed hearts, a unity um, that, that shows changed minds and a gratitude for what Christ has done in the lives of the early church. But also for what it's done for you, what it's done for me, and how it still so clearly applies um, to us today in, in our church and how it applies to us going out and reaching our community and reaching our neighbors. Um, that this narration of the early church is, while it's, it's wonderful and it's beautiful and it's what we can only hope, hope the Lord sees here in us at faith. It's not something that our flesh can produce. This is not a to-do list for us to check things off and hope that we can replicate or emulate what the early church was. Why? Because our flesh does not produce unified thinking. Our flesh does not produce unified actions. No matter how badly we desire something, no matter how badly we want something to work out the way that it sh we think it should, our sin nature and our pride will only get us so far. I'm going to use this as an example. I'm a big sports guy. Those of you that know me know that I, I love sports. Um, What's the greatest dynasty of all time? Anybody? Greatest dynasty of all time across any sports? New England Patriots. New England Patriots, right? Even if you're not a Pats fan, it's really hard to disagree with that. Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, 219 wins, six Super Bowls, countless records, team records, personal records. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick willed that franchise to greatness. They made difficult decisions. They let people go. They sacrificed less money to bring people in so they could, they could accomplish the common goal that they wanted. Until after 20 years, what happened after 20 years? Ego, pride, selfishness, greed. All of these things started to dissolve the Patriot way. All of these things that they'd worked so hard for, that their flesh and their desires worked so hard for, started to crumble. Outside noises started to infiltrate, and then they fell apart. 
This is what society is accustomed to. This type of accomplishment and greatness is what society is accustomed to. It's what the world has accepted is this is as good as it gets. This is a great thing. This is wonderful, but eventually it's going to fall apart. Eventually this, the next shoe will drop. But a unified church presents an undeniable dilemma to the world's concerns. When we go out into the world unified as a church with love for one another, that's, that's sacrificial, that doesn't put me first, that puts our brothers and sisters first when we, when we care about each other more than ourselves, that's something that the world is not familiar with. That's something that causes people to have to make a choice. They, they, they will be presented with a question, am I going to reject what I'm seeing in these Christians? Or am I tired of waiting for the next shoe to drop? Am I tired of, of this is as good as it gets? Am I open to learning more about the change that I see in them? So if you're following along, uh, I want to invite you to turn to chapter 4 in Acts. And as Taylor just read willingly, we're going to go to verses 32 through 37. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said they had, that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were as... That is a difficult one, Taylor. Well done. <laughs> Could you come back up here? (laughs) There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and bought the, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, uh, I just thank you for this time together. I thank you for each and every person sitting in the seat this morning or watching at home. Lord, I just pray that that your Holy Spirit will will intercede here this morning, that that whatever uh, is prepared on the notes um, would just be used by you, Lord, to, to, to reach each and every person here, Lord. You know what we're going through. You know where we're at in our lives, Lord. You know the needs. And I pray that you will encourage us, that you will allow us to have the power and the confidence and the courage to go out from here and share the good news and allow us to, to unify together, Lord, for the, the common purpose of glorifying you and growing your kingdom. And I just pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So very quickly, um, as I said, you can you can catch the sermons on our website. I just want to go over last week's passage quickly. Um, you know, the text was um, Peter and the apostles were being challenged. They were being questioned uh, by the rulers as to what power they had 
to, to say the things they were saying, to teach the things that they were teaching, um, and, and work the miracles they were working. And the rulers basically didn't know what to do with them. Uh, they were, they were challenged because they knew they were right as far as the, the workings, um, but they didn't want them to continue to teach the things that they were teaching. Uh, so the apostles, uh, they were cast out, they were given a stern talking to, and they were threatened with punishment if it were to continue. Um, so the apostles prayed. They knew they needed to continue to have power to do what their flesh could not. And God heard their prayer, and he shook the place where they were and filled them with the Holy Spirit that they, so that they could continue to speak boldly and do the things that they were doing. So we're going to start this morning in uh, verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. With great power. So if we look at the word power, it's, it's dunamas. That's the Greek for, for power. And that, and for those of you that have been in the church for a while, you understand this, you know that. That power is where we find the word dynamite. So they had an explosive power. If, if that's how we, we can wrap our minds around it, um, dynamite is something that, that we can visualize, something that we can understand. And I don't know, for those of you that remember where the Seattle Seahawks and, and the Seattle Mariners used to play, the King Dome, not the Kingdom, the King Dome. Um, in 2000, that was um, destroyed. And I think we've got a picture up here. So this, this was a, a, a 60,000, 80,000 plus seat arena where sports were played. And for those of you that have been to Seattle, uh, you can see the Space Needle there in the background and all the skyscrapers. So the, the water is down here and there's an arena, I mean a uh, marina, where there's boats, you can't see it, it'd be on this side. And, the, and it goes up a hill, so all of the houses and everything up here, you can see the dome from almost the entire city. And sparks from enough web detonation that would reach from here to Gardner lined this entire dome. So it was interwoven 21 miles of web detonation and 5,800 glycerine, glycerine tablets were placed strategically and the 25,000 ton roof came crashing down in 20 seconds. So this controlled explosion was seen by everyone in this community, it was seen by me in Bingham, Maine on ESPN. I remember watching it live. Imagine the power that the apostles had in preaching the gospel is greater than this kind of power. And this is something we can visualize. This is something that we can understand. The gospel was brought to the Jews and eventually the Gentiles with power greater than this. Power that can crush a building in 20 seconds. In the DGT, we were challenged by Pastor Jeff Vanderstelt. I'm glad you didn't give you that one, Taylor. That we love what we speak about most. And those of you that are in DGT will remember this. And we speak most about what we love. The apostles, we see here that they're going out and giving their testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were sharing what was overflowing in their hearts 
that they witnessed the resurrection of someone that it was not disputed that he died. That was not debated. But they were out there sharing their overflowing emotion and, and, and love for Jesus with the power that only God could provide them through the Holy Spirit and changing lives and converting people to the new church. They were convicted and they simply could not comply with the rulers. They could not say, we're going to back down. We're going to, uh, we're going to listen to you and we're all done. Sorry we got in the way. The gospel is what unites people. It's what unifies people. The common purpose of sharing the gospel in their testimonies. We may not have witnessed, as Gus said, we may not have witnessed this. The memorial are the things that we use to, sh- to pass this down. We may not have witnessed this, that they did, but we have our own testimonies. We have our own testimonies of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins. And we can share that with the world. And we can pray just like the apostles prayed to have that same power, that same courage to go out and to share it in the world. And in verse 34 and 35, we move on and we see that they would give all that they had to ensure that the church could continue this mission. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to each as any has need. Their their possessions, not unlike today, their possessions were their identity. So the things that they had, the more land you had, the bigger the houses, those were the things that, that identified who they were. It gave them value. It gave them worth. Most of, most of their, um, most of the jobs or their professions revolved around farming or agriculture. So land was very valuable and they were just selling these. Their houses, it, it's, we could probably presume that so the way the houses were structured, some of them, they, they had like a square in the middle and there were houses here and there was like a community in the middle of the square. And usually family members were living nearby and not every family member was convinced that they should switch over to Christianity. So I'm guessing it was probably awkward. Again, this is just me inserting my, my uh, presumption, but they were selling these. Where were they living? There were, there were, there were so many people converting to Christianity, 5,000, right? We heard 5,000 men were converting. I mean, safe to assume 1.5 children, right? And a, and a, and a wife, almost 20,000 people. This was a community. This was a unified community of believers, but they weren't, they weren't selling these out of demand. There was no, there was no, uh, communism here. This wasn't, uh, a dictatorship. They were giving out a desire. They were giving out of an overflowing um, heart to to continue the spread of the gospel. They were following the the conviction of the Holy Spirit rather than the direction of man. And I would argue that compassion is what compelled them. 
compassion for the people that were around them, compassion for the, the other believers that were converting, that were, that were following them, that were, I mean, that were following the apostles and ultimately following Christ. And that's countercultural. That's not something that we see today. Could you, could you imagine those of you that work, uh, and those of you that are, we all have some sort of income, right? And could you imagine at the end of the day on a Friday, getting your paycheck? Sorry, we don't get paychecks anymore. It's all on your phone now, right? Direct deposit. Kids, there used to be paychecks. I'm not that old, but I used to get a paycheck. Could you imagine going to your boss and saying, boy, this, this looks pretty good. Worked really hard for this. And, uh, you know, we see here they laid it at the apostles' feet. So, you know, Mr. Smith, I think I really like what we're doing here. I really like where the direction our business is going. I'm going to give this back to you because I trust you. I trust that you're going to do the right thing with this, and uh, you're going to meet all the needs of the people. And, uh, you know, I just want you to have it. That's not what we see in society, is it? That's That doesn't even make sense. Or, I mean, these... These people were being overtaxed. Tax collectors were evil, right? I mean, th- could you imagine going to the government and saying, uh, I'd like you to have all my money. I don't need my refund. I want you to have even more because you guys are doing great things, right? It doesn't happen. These, these believers, these followers were going to the apostles and saying, I trust you. I see that there are needs. I see that we have a greater purpose. We're going out and we're sharing the good news of the gospel and I want you to have everything that I have. And this also allowed for the apostles to be supported financially. They weren't asking for it, but they were committing their lives over to traveling and sharing the gospel. The earthly earthly church is to reflect the heavenly family that we will have in eternity. And that's a difficult thing at times because for us as members of the church, it requires some humility. It requires some vulnerability. And it also requires us to, to be able to know and meet the needs. So if we're not vulnerable, if we're not humble, it's hard to allow someone to be a blessing in our lives. When we feel like we need to put that mask on when we walk through the door, if we're not sharing openly in our small groups and getting personal with each other, and I don't mean all the bad things. Doesn't We don't need to be needy. Sometimes being needy can, can be draining on the other person. But if we're just constantly showing up and not participating, sometimes that doesn't allow the blessings to happen. And Luke goes on to record for us an example. I love how God uses people throughout scripture as examples. Uh, Most of them, the broken ones, especially I can identify with. Luke records for us an example. um, Maybe for me anyway, some of you probably know Barnabas. Maybe one of the most underrated people in my, you know, ignorance um, in the Bible. Barnabas is a cool dude. Like he, 
He is, he is someone that I would hope to become. So then in Acts 4.36, thus Joseph, who was also called by the possibles Barnabas. Did anybody ever wonder why names are constantly changed in scripture? Like, did they, I feel like they needed a baby book, like the, 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 the great name of baby books or baby, you know, whatever that thing's called, right? Like how many Josephs are in scripture? I didn't look that up, but I feel like they're constantly changing people's names. I'm like, wait, wasn't Joseph and Mary and now there's this Joseph, but let's change his name. And like, I feel like a baby a name of baby books would have helped a lot. Um, but anyway, the apostle Barnabas. The apostles, I'm just going to start over. Thus Joseph, who was, this is why Brent says stick to your notes. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Luke didn't just record what was happening in the church. He went a little bit further and he used a person. He gave us someone that we can relate to, that we can identify with. He could have just left it as this is what was happening and this is how the church was working. But he went so far as to give us someone to connect with. Now, the original meaning, and I'm not saying that this is a negative connotation, but the original meaning of Joseph was to add or increase. And I just thought that was kind of interesting that he was not trying to add or increase his possessions or the things that identified who he was or the value that people were finding in, in the things that they had. So they changed his name from Joseph add or increase to Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement. And we see through acts and, and other parts of scripture about Barnabas that he didn't just sell his land. This wasn't just the only Instance, And I'm not going to get too far into it because the other pastors, as we go through Acts, will hit on this more. But we see that Barnabas, uh, he was a leader in Acts 15.12. He was one of the delegates that attended the Jerusalem Council regarding the transition of the new Gentile believers into the early church. He and Paul shared their testimonies of God working among the Gentiles, the people that were not allowed, that, that were frowned on, that Jesus also died for. He was vouching for them. We see that he was trustworthy and he was a friend. In Acts 9.27, he stuck his neck out for Paul and brought him to the apostles. After Paul had his, his experience on the road to Damascus, Paul was, prior to that, Saul was, was executing Christians. And Barnabas' reputation was, I mean, this is after what we see where he sold the field. His reputation was, was pretty solid with the apostles. And he took a chance on this guy, on this murderer, and said, no, no, no. Guys, he's changed. Trust me, I've seen it. Wouldn't it be nice to have a Barnabas? I think, think we've all probably been in a situation where we've needed somebody to, to, to take our side or be in our corner. And Barnabas was like, yeah, I, I'm there. I got you, buddy. Or he's a teacher in Acts 11.24. The church leader sent him, I'm going to butcher this one too, Antioch, 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 to strengthen the members uh, of faith and their preaching. He modeled Christ through his ministry with Paul. The believers were learning to be like Jesus through Barnabas' words, his actions, how he conducted himself. He was being a Christ-like example to, to the new believers. And he was flawed. 
He wasn't perfect. He was flawed. And in Galatians 2.13, it tells us about how Barnabas caved. He caved to peer pressure when Peter told him not to eat with the Gentiles. Even though Barnabas knew that Jesus came to be the Savior of the world, he had a moment of weakness. Barnabas gives us an example of what the early church movement was trying to be. But he also shows us that we're still, we still have our sin nature and we still need Jesus. We still need the cross. We've never go, getting to a point where we've made it and we don't need to turn our lives over daily to our Lord and Savior. The resurrection of Jesus, it changes our value system. We see that they're, through, through this example that they're selling these things and that the, the Lord, that our Lord and Savior is the, gives us the key to heaven. It allows us who had no business having a relationship with the Lord, a key to heaven and that that is so much more valuable than the things that we try to store up here in this world, the things that we put in our storage units. The key to heaven is more valuable than the, than the key to that locker or anything in it. But none of this is possible without the transforming, healing, and restoration power of the Holy Spirit. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but he had every, they had everything in common. A supernatural bond like this is not possible without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They were of one heart and one soul. That doesn't mean that they had one heart pumping the blood through their bodies. They didn't have all these transfusion lines coming into them. No, when they're talking about heart here, they're referring figuratively to their thoughts and their feelings. They had one purpose, one desire, one goal. It's very, they, they still had disagreements, but they were focused on one person, one purpose, one person. And they didn't, they weren't all one soul. They each still had their individual souls, but it was, they're, they're, it's talking about the Holy Spirit is what they had in common. We're seeing the, the promise in Ezekiel thirty six twenty six being fulfilled. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. The Holy Spirit will indwell in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is the spiritual transformation that was promised in the new covenant being fulfilled. Instead of the law working from the outside in, God promised the new heart working from the inside out. And the results are being seen in Jerusalem. This is not something we can replicate on our own. Our sin nature tells us that we need to look out for ourselves. That I need to put me first. The Holy Spirit is the missing piece in the world's search for peace. 
Anyone know who uh, Arthur Henderson is? I did not. So if you do, I'll be shocked. Arthur Henderson. Uh, he was the first labor cabinet minister. He was one of the senior decision makers for the prime minister of the United Kingdom. So he had the prime minister's ear. He also won a Nobel Peace Prize in 1934. So he, he must be an expert on peace, right? Nobel Peace Prize, that's a big deal. This is his quote on world peace. To solve the problem of organizing world peace, we must establish world law and order. So in order to have peace, we must have law and order. This is what Jesus says. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John fourteen twenty seven. The world is searching for peace and harmony and unity in so many places, and they're rejecting the one true Savior. They're rejecting the Holy Spirit. But are they just rejecting it, or have they not heard? Are we not going out there and sharing our testimonies powerfully? But we have to be unified first. Pastor Brent's uh, shared in the past, you know, when you're, when you're in a plane, I got permission to use this because it, it fits perfectly. When you're in a plane and, you know, they've got the, the airbag that comes down and they're like, put this on and pull it tight and, but they say, put it on yourself first and then put it on your, your kids or the person with you. We as a church need to be healthy and unified before we can go out into the community. And I'm not saying that we're not, but this is the challenge that the apostles were were facing is the, the unity amongst them was allowing them to go out and share the gospel powerfully. As children of God, we have the promise of an eternity in heaven. We have far more than a fresh start or a second or third chance. We have a new life. In this new life, we need to understand that healing and growth and learning scripture and humility and generosity, they're all found and nourished in the community of the church. A newborn child is born complete, but not mature. Growth occurs within the context of a caring community, and that's what we find here in the church. In small groups, Bible studies, here at Faith, we have Celebrate Recovery, youth group for our kids, one-on-one counseling, marriage counseling. Our self-centered existence dissolves when we find a new and healthy compulsion and a motivation to put others first. First, inside of our church, and secondly, outside of the church, to bring the good news to our neighbors and to our community. Christ's love should compel us, should compel us to live for the one who died for us. He died for our old habits, for our sins. His love should motivate us to powerfully share that he didn't stay in that grave. But he rose victoriously for each and every one of them out there and us in here. 
we have direct access to that unifying power that is talked about in this passage that gives us the courage to invite others to his kingdom. I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. I'm going to invite Pastor Brent up to the stage. Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for allowing us access to that power through your Son going to the cross for us, Lord. Thank you for leaving uh, your Holy Spirit to indwell in us, Lord. Thank you for not giving up on us. I pray that you would continue to use this church, Lord. Continue the unifying process, but also the, the, just allow us to, to continue to join together and, and get to know each other, Lord. I'm so grateful for the DGT and, and Pastor Tom feeling led to start that. And I just pray that that would continue to permeate throughout the church, Lord, into our small groups, into our families, Lord. I just pray that you would give us the courage to allow those around us to know the needs in our lives, Lord. Even if that doesn't mean that we're able to meet them in the moment, but just to share the burden sometimes is enough, Lord. And I pray that, that you will continue to use this church to do amazing things in our community, in the soup kitchen, in the other areas that have been shared and opportunities of outreach, Lord, to just give us clear, clear direction on where you would have us go next, Lord. Allow our feet to move when we're called to move and allow us to, to step out of our comfort zone. I, I know I joked um, about Taylor, Lord, but it, it's the perfect example this morning of, of what it takes to get uncomfortable, Lord. Help us to get uncomfortable. Help us to, to do great things for you, to glorify you. And I just pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.